So, Nick, how's it going? Good. How are you? Good. Are you having a good summer? I am, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Have you been traveling at all? Or? A little bit. I was just in San Francisco this weekend visiting my sister. How was that? It was fun. It yeah. was fun. SF is, the weather is so much nicer there. Yeah? Yeah, it really had, is. Had you ever lived in San Francisco? Or? No, but I've had relatives there since I was very young, so I'd go at least once or twice a year. I've been with you in San Francisco, because oh, right. that's where Alex Strangelove premiered. That's right. And um, I'm intimately familiar with the director. I don't know if you know that. But I didn't know that. Yeah. How do you know? We're married to each other. Oh. Yeah. You're, oh, I'm... Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry, okay. I'm sorry about that. Um, but yeah, so did you do anything fun this summer, though, like besides visit your sister in San Francisco? Um, well, this summer was, I moved back to L.A. from New York, so it was kind of consumed right. by that. Okay. And uh, it was a bit chaotic because of family stuff and, mm-hmm. you know, life stuff always gets in the way. Yeah. Uh, but that's kind of been my summer, just resettling back into L.A. How are you with readjusting, like when you move to a new city? Is it something that takes a while to acclimate or does it? It used to be a difficult transition for me, but now it just happens so often that I'm used to it but it's not it's never fun to move especially cross country I had like boxes shipped and like kept it in my car overnight then my car was broken into and lost half my shit from New York oh no but like I mean what are you gonna do you just kinda have to do you have strategies though cause like I personally don't like change you know like Mm. I like to have my routine so when you start in a new city are there certain rituals or things that you do to sort of help yourself adjust or no I kinda like when things are new and Uh chaotic and you know full of change and excitement oh that's great at, 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 for now <laughs> as I get old, every year that excitement wanes a little right yeah that's interesting um and so so you're back in LA now back in LA I'm in Silver Lake Silver Lake yeah not far from here yeah um that's great are, yeah. you, are you enjoying Silver Lake I am I've been wanting to live in Silver Lake since I moved to LA like eight years ago where did you live before I started in Eagle Rock okay. and then Highland Park and gotcha. then East Hollywood, mm-hmm. and then North Hollywood, okay, and then New York, and then now I'm back, and I'm in Silver Lake. So you've been sort of like circling Silver Lake. And yes, now I've been circling <laughs> it, just looking at it from a distance, and now I'm finally in it. Yeah. yeah, and are you working on something right now, or are you sort of in between projects? Or um, right now, I'm trying. I'm focusing on um, selling two scripts that I've written. Great. Um, one's a feature, one's a pilot, and I've never done that before. And I sold a script, so I'm try to figure that out but so we should say for people who don't know that you are in addition to being an actor and a stand-up comedian you're also a writer uh so which of those hats do you enjoy the most or is it all Um, fun for you they're they're just so different Mm -hmm. you know i think uh acting is the one i have most experience with but um i really want to be writing more and Mm -hmm. and creating my own stuff because with acting it's so unpredictable and like the roles are good roles are far and few between a Mm -hmm. lot of it especially on tv are just not that exciting um and not that funny frankly in the comedy world uh when you when you read a role are you reading it from the perspective sometimes of a writer i mean are do you can you turn on and off the part of your brain that thinks about things as a writer versus no, as an actor. No, I kind of am reading everything as everything, which yeah. is which is kind of cool because you get to see it from a lot of perspectives. Mm-hmm. You see it from a performer's side and a writer's side, and uh, and I think that just makes it more fun. Yeah, I just listened to an interview with Tina Fey, and she was saying that she sees herself as a writer first and foremost, so when she sees a script, it's like she she has a hard time turning that off. But it's, I guess it's a different skill set, right? It is. I think I definitely approach a script as a performer first, though. Right. Yeah, I think that's like the, the main thing when I'm reading something, how how's it going to be brought to life by the actors, I think is the first thing I think about, and mm-hmm. then, I, then I look at the writing of it. 
Well, Nick, this podcast that you are on is a food podcast. Mm-hmm. And before we get to your therapy session, I kind of want to, in general, wanted to know, what is your relationship to food? I mean, are you a food person? Do you care about food? Or, uh, growing, up, food? growing up, um, a lot of the aunties in my family circle called me Picky Nicky. Picky Nicky. Picky okay. Nicky. Yes, because I was very picky when it came to food. And I say was because I'm less so now okay. that I have to find my own food. Um, but I'm still pretty particular about what I like and don't like. Interesting. Yeah. But in terms of your passions in life, oh, is food a passion for you? I wouldn't call it a passion. Yeah. No. Um I very much enjoy it, and I think sharing a meal with someone is the best way to like bond and mm-hmm. connect. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if I'd call food a, a personal passion. What are you? Like, what kind of things do you do when you're not working? Like, what are your hobbies? I don't understand the question. <laughs> Boy, this is like this therapy session just uh, is starting itself. No, I, I mean actually, the thing I do most is eat with people. So, uh-huh. but it's less about the food and more about the people. You gotcha. know, I think food is just the, it's the way to connect. But for me. Quality time with my friends and family um, is is like the most important thing outside of work. And by the way, this this podcast is not taking a stance that one needs to be invested in food to live. Oh, even if it were, I would. I'm. I'm, Uh, but I'm curious, like, but like for me, like cooking is how I kind of disengage mm-hmm. from work and the world. I'm yeah. able to sort of just let everything fall away and just stand at the stove and stir pots of sauce or whatever. But do you have anything like that in your life that like lets you sort of vacate yourself and kind of... Yeah, getting out of the city and into nature. So nature. Yeah. Hiking. Yeah. yeah. Uh, less so hiking and more like sitting in nature. <laughs> I love sitting. I love sitting yeah. in like a grassy field. It's uh, lovely, yeah. you know? In fact, lake. Like, it's funny because I've joked before that like I'm not that interested in food, but I love sitting because like going to a restaurant, I just get to sit. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so people serve you. I know. It's amazing. It's lovely. Sitting is the best. It absolutely is the best. So your form of recreation is to sit in various places in nature. With people I love. The people you love. And that's, yes. that's come up a couple times already that you yeah. like to be around other people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so where, where are some of the places you like to go when you go sit in nature? Um, all over. I mean, most recently I was in Malibu Creek State Park, which is about an hour away from here. Okay. Uh, it is gorgeous and it's just full of animals mm-hmm. and uh, there's like a little lake with like a waterfall and cliffs and wow. hills. And we saw a rattlesnake, my friend and I. Oh my God terrifying but very cool did it rattle no it didn't rattle it was like it was very peaceful it was just staring at us and oh my we, sta- we just stared at each other for like five minutes <laughs> you and the rattlesnake or you and your friend no uh, the three of us <laughs> the, the three, it, was, it was a triangle of staring to see what we would do and then the snake just went back in this little cave wow yeah what, and, and, and then we left we left the area <laughs> do rattlesnakes um attack unprovoked or do you need to kind of poke you it? need to provoke it and they will rattle first right yeah so you were kind of in you were pretty safe when you saw the rattle yeah if it started rattling we would have booked it yeah and left our shit even i'm like ready to run out of this room i'm so scared by this story but it was like surprising we were surprisingly not that scared probably we should have been more scared mm-hmm that sounds very relaxing, though, to just sort of... Because everyone who, in L.A. is always taking hikes. Mm-hmm. But I love your version, like, the sit. Like, Oh, we literally took, like, lawn chairs. Oh, my God. And, like, just, like, set up under, like, a shady tree and just hung out. I feel like you could start, uh, like, a movement. Like, this could be a thing, you know, sort of. Like, I feel like there's, like... Like the anti-hike? Yeah, there's, like, yeah. exercise movements that happen, like, you know, soul cycle and all those things. It's, like, 
whatever this is, like the sit hike. What do we call it? Yeah, sit, sit hiking. Sit, sit, nature sitting. Nature sit. Nature sitting. Nature sitting. I love it. And you, you can get rich doing green this. sitting. Yeah, yeah. You know what I would love is my favorite rides in Disney World are all the ones where you just sort of sit on like in a car that moves slowly through an environment yeah absolutely and you get to just experience the magic around you yeah so if they just like carved up a beautiful piece of nature and put in like a a, a moving car oh that'd be fun yeah it'd be bad for the nature but it'd be really yes. really good for me absolutely especially if you throw some weed in there oh yeah, yeah. sure yeah, yeah um well nick uh or as i should say picky nicky mm. um mm. i think the time may have come to ask you mm-hmm. what did you have for lunch today um, today, uh, I went to a restaurant in Silver Lake called Say Cheese. It's like a beautiful cheese shop. Okay. I've never been there. Oh, it's really good. Okay. Uh, it's close by, so that's one of those places that I can just pop in, mm-hmm. you know, whenever I'm trying to have a quick lunch. And uh, today, I got their Parisian sandwich. Okay. And I even took a picture of the menu so I could read off how they, <laughs> how they describe it. Great. It's uh, Le Parisian. Okay. So, you know, the lay is important. Uh, European ham and melted brie with tomato, basil, capers, and aioli on a croissant. Can you repeat that? I'm sorry. I just I really want to take this all in. European ham. Okay. European ham. And melted brie. Melted brie. Got it. With tomato, basil, capers, and aioli on a croissant. Okay. And for my drinks, I had an iced latte Uh uh, and coconut water. Wow, this is one of the most interesting lunches we've encountered yet on really? this show. Yeah, I thought this would be a kind of boring because this, this is the sandwich I get like once a week. No, I don't think fifty minutes is enough for this session. I might have oh, to gosh. see you five different times this week. Oh man, this is going to be an emotional toll, isn't it? Yes, it's going to be intense. Okay, so walk me through. I think the first thing that I want to know. Um, first of all, I think it's very interesting that you brought the menu to read the sandwich to us. Um, do you, just to go off of that for a second, is it important, is accuracy important for you in your life, being accurate yes, about absolutely. things? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Interesting that you're making that connection, because it is. Right. I think being accurate and honest is really, really important to me. What would it have meant to you if you'd come in here and gotten something wrong and said something and then realized later that you'd said it and it wasn't in the sandwich? Well, it's like, you know, defeating the purpose of the whole podcast. Right. You so know, honesty. Just, well, it's just, you know, an authenticity and like getting... If I came in here and told you the wrong thing, we'd have a completely different conversation. Although in America in 2019, I feel like most most that would be like the most minor grievance of, of uh, all. You know, it sort of feels like yeah. truth. Not to make this political, because we are focused on your psychology right now. Uh, my psychology is political. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Wow, that, that's profound. Mm. Um, okay, so tell us when you went to this cheese, say cheese. You walked in. How conscious were you that you would be reporting back on what you would? would be ordering were you very conscious and that's why i went to a place that i normally go to and got something i normally get so that i wouldn't be tempted to get something that would make me look a certain way or appear a certain way wait so you got something you you do normally get yeah yeah oh, okay yeah, great. yeah i have this exact meal at least like once a week i think that's very healthy again that's the honesty thing you were capturing yourself honestly as opposed to performing oh yeah i mean i could have gone to like an indian restaurant maybe there's some <laughs> thing about culture and yeah. identity and blah 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 but no, i mean that's just i'm you know uh. it's actually making me think about you as an actor because do you think there's a link between your need for authenticity in your life and your ability to convey performances authentically like that there's a sure yeah that sounds that sounds like a profound thing to say about myself yeah why not but when you're approaching a part when you're playing a character is that something that goes on in your mind is how do i authentically bring it to life yeah absolutely well i think that's i mean i think that's how you deliver a solid performance is 
you know, behaving authentically in these made up circumstances. That's so interesting. I mean, just as like a value system, authenticity feels like a good value to have and to just be authentically yourself. Yeah. Well, I think growing up, you know, I struggled with that Mm -hmm. uh, a lot, being authentic and being myself. And I wasn't myself for most of my adult life. And uh, when I started to dabble in authenticity, you know, mm-hmm. it was it was life changing, and that's cheesy, but it's true. Can you tell us more about that? Or? Yeah, well, you know, you know, when I, up until I was seventeen, when I went to college, I was really ashamed of being Indian. I was not open about being queer, and mm-hmm. you know, my family was a, a working class family in a very wealthy area, so I was really insecure about like the class stuff, and mm-hmm. used to pretend I was much wealthier than I actually was. Really? Okay. Oh yeah, it was like it was horrible. All these like all this shame from so many different areas of life were just kind of coming together and, you know, making me feel, you know, less worthy or whatever and, and, and acting in ways that weren't authentic. I think that's so interesting because I, I, I relate to that and I shouldn't talk too much about myself as your no, lunch therapist, but that sense of being bottled up and then like kind of coming out with a bang, like when you leave home and just yeah. sort of getting to reinvent yourself. Absolutely. But so where did you grow up? Arizona. In Arizona. Mm-hmm. Scottsdale, Arizona. Okay. So specific. So when you say that you grew up pretending to be wealthier than you were, I mean, how did that play out in terms of what were the practical applications of that? Well, it's for, for like a like for like a year and a half my family was actually wealthy mm-hmm. um, because of like the real estate marketing boom. My dad's a realtor. Okay. And like we got really rich for like a very short amount of time and so I had all these really nice things like nice clothes and mm-hmm. cool gadgets and my parents had nice cars. We lived in a big house but like once the recession hit, it hit my family really hard. Right. Um, parents fought for bankruptcy, house was foreclosed, like it was it was a lot of stuff, but I kept all that stuff secret and then kept outwardly like wearing the nice clothes mm-hmm. that I had and, you know, you know, buying the expensive coffees when we go out and like silly high school things, but yeah. you know, just just performing wealth in a way that was completely unnecessary in hindsight, but at the time felt like something I had to do in order to stay or to, to fit in. I'm curious, because this is a food podcast, and you mentioned expensive coffees, but yeah. as your family went through that economic transition, did it have any application to how you ate at home? No, fortunately, I did not. Um, you know, uh, my mom uh, has, you know, cooked for the whole family since my sister was born, my mm-hmm. older sister, and, and that didn't change. What know? kind of food did she make? Well, mostly Indian food. Amazing. And it is, and I'm not saying this because it's my mom, but it is hands down the best Indian food that you has ever existed really mm-hmm. tell us some more i want to hear about it uh, she learned when she was nine okay. um and cooked for her entire family growing up from like nine to 25 when she when she got married where did she grow up in india in, in, india. in Ahmedabad, yeah which is in gujarat is that northern southern northwestern okay um yeah so her uh parents were refugees from the partition uh, of india in 1947 and were uh, what is now Pakistan, and then were forcibly relocated to Gujarat. Wow. It was, yeah, a lot. Um, but food is one thing that they brought with them. And, like, my grandma on my mom's side, like, is an incredible chef mm-hmm. and brought a lot of those traditions over um, and passed on to my mom. And uh, she just perfected perfected it over 40-plus years of cooking. And now she doesn't cook as much because she's just over it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when she does, it's it's phenomenal. And is there a specific dish of hers that you love above all others or a couple of dishes? There's just so many. I mean, her bani puri, uh, which is like Indian street food. It's like a, like a hollow crisp Mm -hmm. that you fill with like potatoes and chickpeas and, 
and then you you put um, it's called bani, which is Hindi for water, but it's this like mint uh, and spice filled water, mm-hmm. uh, and it's it's just it's it's like a street food snack, and it's so fucking good. Oh wow! Yeah, you're making me hungry. Oh yes, yeah, and there's like a sweet tamarind mm-hmm. chutney that you put in it as well, mm-hmm. and it's just this like mix of sweet, sour, spicy, crunchy, savory deliciousness. You put the whole thing in your mouth at once, and mm-hmm. it just like explodes. So when you were growing up, did you? understand that your mom was making this extraordinary food? I mean, was it clear to you how much work she was putting yes, into it? Yeah, I mean, just because I'd be in the home while she was cooking and, like, occasionally help out, not as much as I probably should have, but just watching her spend hours, you mm-hmm. know, or even prepping, like, things days in advance uh-huh. um, and seeing the amount of time and care that went into it. And, what, and you talk about being from Arizona and sort of, I think you mentioned earlier about sort of being ashamed of being Indian. Did you say that? Yeah. But was there anything with the food of it all? I mean, I've heard stories from people from different cultures who are ashamed of the lunch they brought to school. And- that's, a, that's such a common experience. And I think it's, at this point, it's just a universal, like, children of immigrants story of mm-hmm. taking your, you know, home cooked meal to school and then getting a lot of shit for it. And did you? Oh, yeah. 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 I stopped taking Indian food to school <laughs> when I was pretty young. Um, and switched to like PB and J and chips or like Lunchables. Lunchables were my jam for like, oh, yeah. elementary school. I mean, I really was excited about Lunchables. When oh, Lunchables first are great. Yeah. I, I, do they still make those? I think so. Yeah. And mm. if Lunchables wants to sponsor this podcast, by the way, I mean, they, we'll, you should. We'll take your money. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> that actually makes sense. Like that would make sense. Yeah, Lunchable therapy. But back to you, and because <laughs> uh, I think that's so fascinating. I mean, in terms of, the, I mean, this is a podcast about the relationship between food and psychology, and to literally have a part of your identity be represented through food that you no longer felt like you could bring to school because people would know this, not think that you could assimilate or be part of the culture. So can you walk me through then the like other end of that when you started to grow out of, you know, your shame period and you started to re-embrace who you were, uh, was, did, did, was there a moment for you where you started to embrace your mother's cooking more again or you know you know when i moved to california for college it was the first time i really met non-indian people who liked indian food Mm -hmm. and like knew of it and like ate it regularly and like that to me it's shitty to think that like the external validation played a role in in my internal journey but it does it's true for all of us it's true for all of us and like it was like oh okay i'm not like weird for loving this food it's mm-hmm. delicious it's so yeah. fucking good and that's very sweet it's like you know that because i think a lot of people who have shame about where they come from takes them years if ever to like yeah. realize like oh wait a second yeah. there's value from where i come i from. also credit like my older sister and my older cousins who i think went on this journey themselves and you know encouraged me to connect with my roots more mm-hmm so when you went through the period where you stopped eating your mother's food at lunch and you wanted Lunchables, how did your mom react to that? She understood. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I, honestly, she was a little relieved because that, that meant less cooking for her. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it was a bummer. And, you know, she always felt kind of bad. Um, but uh, but she understood. I mean, you know, they get it. Yeah. Like, especially in, like, Arizona and Scottsdale. It's just such a white-centric culture that... Sometimes you got to do things to fit in. How about for your parents in uh, Arizona? I mean, did they make friends that appreciated their cooking? Were, were there, did they have other Indian families? Or? Yeah, I think, I mean, by and large, my parents' social circles were just under other Indian families mm-hmm. um, who they met through mutual friends and family. Wow. 
All right, I'm, I'm going to bring this back now to your lunch today because mm-hmm. I think it's kind of important that we don't lose sight yes, absolutely. of why we're here. Yes, the Parisian. The Parisian. So I want to understand, um, in your this being a regular lunch of yours, how did this sandwich first enter your life? Um, so Glenn, the, the dude that works at Say Cheese, mm-hmm. recommended it. He said I thought I, he said I, he thought I'd like it, and I was mm-hmm. like, sure. Uh, and I loved it. Mm-hmm. He was right. Thank you, Glenn. Um, and you know, it's just, uh, it's a nice neighborhood spot. I can walk to it from my apartment. I want to go back to getting the the advice from Glenn, because that Mm -hmm. makes me think about what you were saying earlier about outside people validating your Indian Mm. background. And then that gave you permission to enjoy the Indian food that you grew up with. Do you feel like you were seeking Glenn's approval in a similar way for a sandwich? No, I just like was staring at the menu for far too long and I didn't know what I wanted. And he was like, get the Parisian and you like it. And I was right. like, all right, great. And so the Parisian's on a croissant. Mm-hmm. It had ham. It had tomato. Tomato. Capers. Capers. Okay. Brie and aioli. And then you got it with a coconut water. Yeah, I brought that with me. But coconut water, for me, connotes health or an interest in health. But the sandwich you got was kind of rich and heavy. Mm-hmm. Is that um, <laughs> is there anything there about the you know those two things sort of eating them together? Uh, yeah, it's me being consistent. Sure. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the coconut water I drink because I don't drink enough water. Mm-hmm. And I just am perpetually dehydrated. Sure. Uh, and so I drink coconut water to... Uh, to you know, make up for that harmless coconut water, harmless harvest, which is you could also sponsor this podcast. <laughs> so yes, please. Or me personally, I'm fine with that. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, you know, and especially if I'm about to have like a heavy meal, mm-hmm. I want to at least you know have some water to wash exactly, it down. Exactly. But do you normally have a big lunch? I mean, is lunch a big part of your day in terms of food? Um, I no. No, yeah. not usually. Um, on days that I'm not that busy, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if I'm if I have a packed day, then I often eat very little or sometimes skip lunch. Really? Yeah. And so if you have a packed day, this kind of for me ties back to the work thing when you made the joke earlier about not having any hobbies because work was your hobby. Right. So is work a big part of your, I mean, is that at the forefront of your brain most of the time? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's kind of what drives everything. Right. Um, where I am, what I'm doing, who mm-hmm. I'm with. Uh, I, I'm getting better at creating more balance, mm-hmm. I think, as I get older. But that's definitely like a driving force. So when you are working, let's say on a show, um, how does food enter your day? Like how do you, if you know you're going to be shooting all day, do you eat a light breakfast? Do you eat a big? Fortunately, when you're shooting, yeah. food's provided. Sure. Um, and it's usually pretty great. Yeah. And uh, that's actually when I eat best is mm-hmm. when, when I'm working on, okay. on a project because like, you show up, you get breakfast. It's amazing. You get whatever you want. There's mm-hmm. lunch. There's healthy options. There's shitty options. There's fried chicken to, you know, really healthy acai bowls right. available. But does it affect your performance if you have a heavy lunch or if you don't? Oh, have yeah. I usually eat pretty light because if I, if I eat a heavy lunch or a heavy breakfast, you know, it is, it kind of makes me a little sluggish and mm-hmm. feel a little bloated, which is not great for when you're trying to be, you know, nimble and, and energetic right. in a scene over and over again saying the same thing. You don't want to get like lethargic from the food. So I generally try to drink a lot more water, drink a lot less alcohol, um, and eat less carbs and, and just keep it lighter, fresher, cleaner. So I'm curious, as I'm thinking of like the bigger picture for you, like 
I'm getting the impression that you grew up in an, in, in an extraordinary food home where this incredible food was being made that you've now grown to appreciate, but you've gone forth into the world and you're a hardworking guy and you're, you know, eating food to get through the day. But is there any part of you that wants to learn your mother's recipes or, you know, do you want to bring that into your own life? I do. I just don't love cooking. I, I'm not bad at it. Mm-hmm. I like cooking when I'm cooking for people. Sure. You know, like I love cooking on for holidays and people's birthdays and such like stuff like that. But when it comes to like everyday mm-hmm. stuff, I just like don't have the passion for it, I guess. Well, tell me about cooking for people's birthdays. I mean, like what kind of food would you make then? Well, for birthdays, whatever is their favorite food. Um, okay. But, yeah. that's, but you're, you're saying that like that's just like an easy, you know obvious thing that anybody could do but not everybody can make someone their favorite foods on their birthday just look up the recipe on google you're i mean you know it's not that hard for a lot of people i think it is though i mean if somebody said like if i said my favorite food was you know lasagna would you be intimidated to make a lasagna or if i said it was um roast chicken you would just look up a recipe and make a roast chicken to the best of my ability yeah i mean i'm not promise it's not gonna be good necessarily i mean it might be usually it is but Uh uh-huh I just, you know, it, there needs to be like an event. Well, and it makes me think again about the accuracy thing about, you know, do you, you said you can follow the recipe, mm-hmm. but does your mom cook with recipes? No, she cooks just from like her fingers and like feeling. Yeah. It yeah. Well, that's what I like about cooking is I like to sort of just sort of tap right. into the. And that's what like a truly talented chef can do. I'm not that though. But maybe, I mean, I think, I think it comes from, it's sort of, it's probably like acting in the sense that it's. You know, it's a skill set, but once you get confident in what you, knowing the basic rules, it's like, then you can feel free to play within that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just trying to get married to someone who likes to cook. Oh, I'm really? trying to pull a Craig here. That's, oh, that's my all, God. That's all okay. I want, honestly. Well, make me an offer. I don't know. Well, yeah. we'll, we'll talk after we start yeah, recording. Okay. Yeah. Um, but, so that's interesting. So, and I was going to ask, like, and maybe this is, you know, I'm just curious, like in 2019, in the terms of the gender roles of it, mm. um, with your mom being the cook, did your dad cook at all? No, or? not at all. And that really is definitely from like traditional Indian gender roles, mm-hmm. or not even just Indian, just traditional gender roles across sure. the world. Uh, my dad can make chai. Oh, that, okay. that, that's it. Uh, sidebar: How does he make it? Because I've always wanted to make chai. Is it like with? I'll teach you. I can make chai really like well. Actually, cinnamon stick. And uh, there's no cinnamon in real Indian chai. That's, See, I don't know. That's, that's, that's some American <laughs> nonsense. Uh, no, it's um, chai tea leaves. Uh, you boil it in a pot of water. Yeah. And then you put in cardamom, ginger. Uh, you can put in like masalas if you want, like a masala chai. But I don't really like that. Uh, sugar, if you want it to be a little sweet, you let it boil. Um, and it's water or milk? Water. Okay. You let it, you let it, you know, uh, boil for a little bit, and then then you put milk in it mm. uh, if you want. Uh, most people do. Um, let that boil for a bit, and then you just strain it. And you pour it into a cup uh, through a strainer. Do you make it often? When I'm home for my parents. <laughs> oh, that's so nice. Yeah, yeah. That's like my main chore i guess oh but i was gonna ask so does your sister cook yeah my sister cooks she's uh resisted it for a long time but has finally started to cook well i think this 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 train of thought came to my brain when you were talking about you want to marry someone who can cook oh, like yeah. if there was a gendered thing and not gendered obviously because you'd be someone of the same gender but right, right, right. but because of the traditional roles in your family that maybe, maybe like you're oh, taking damn. on the mantle of your father and oh, then your God. sister is taking on the mantle of your mother but oh if it, jesus yeah you're just can, perpetuating all the <laughs> bullshit but i don't think there's anything to be ashamed i mean that's just 
we were talking about something that just happens yeah. naturally too. Yeah. Or maybe not. Maybe we were taught to think. I that think way. we're taught that way. Yeah. I mean, anyone can cook, you know. Well, for me, I mean, I again, this shouldn't be about me, but maybe it is ultimately. Hey, it's about your me. podcast. It is my podcast. Uh-huh. Um, I remember very vividly, like growing up, wanting an easy bake oven uh-huh. and being. I don't. Know, I don't know if I, my parents didn't want me to get one, but I just remember being like, I can't have that. That sense of I'm a boy. Oh, I can't sure. have an easy bake oven. Yeah. So sort of my journey in terms of coming out as gay coincided with my coming out as wanting to cook. That's so interesting. They kind of went together. Why do you think that you felt like, why do you feel like cooking was something you couldn't do? Well, I I do think those same gender roles were sort of hammered into my head too. My mom didn't cook or my dad, but but there, if, if one of them did, it would have been my mother, you know? So I think that there was an idea that like boys don't cook. That was but gay boys do cook. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. And also, like, so many straight men are chefs, so none of it's That's the sense. thing. It's, yeah. like, the big famous chefs and, like, the big famous restaurateurs are all men. Yeah, mostly true. Men. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's fascinating, though, in terms of, like, queer identity and sort of becoming your truer self. I mean, for you, it was, it was interesting to hear you start to kind of tie together your Indian, your sense of self in terms of being Indian and gay and, and, and also you talked about money and stuff. I mean, so wh- wh- when was that moment for you where you started, where were you in your life when you started to emerge as your truer, more authentic self? Um, I don't think there was any one moment. I think it's just been like a slow process over the last decade, mm-hmm. you know, since I was becoming more aware of the issues and uh, more aware of race and queer identity and just cultural differences and getting out of Arizona was really important for mm-hmm. that journey, I think. Um, and it's just been a slow, a slow burn from there. So where did you go after Arizona? Yeah. LA here. Okay. Yeah. You came to LA. Went to school here. Uh-huh. Um, studied politics. Where did you go to school? Occidental college. Okay. Is that where Obama went? It is. He did transfer though after two years. Oh my gosh. Um, we do consider him an alum. Okay. Although I don't think that's appropriate because he transferred after two oh. years. Oh, but I, I digress. But he went on Mark Maron's podcast, which at the time was being in Highland uh, Park, in Highland Park yes. and that was near where he went to college. Uh, and I'm not that far from there. So, uh, Obama, if you are listening, you are invited on lunch therapy. Please bring me back if that happens. Yeah, of course. Um, so you got to Occidental. So when you showed up there, let's make it about food just for a second. Yeah. So you're coming now from Arizona, where you've gone on this journey of growing up with this incredible Indian food and then going to school and bringing your Lunchables. Then you show up at college. And was your attitude when you got there, like, I'm just going to eat the food that everybody eats here and just sort of fit in? Was that? I mean, that that was more out of, like, necessity. Like, I was on, like, financial aid and, like, I had the meal plan. Mm-hmm. And freshmen uh, are very restricted in terms of, like, where they can live and where they can eat. Yeah. And so I just kind of had to eat. Question, though. How did, like, Lunchables and these things that you were eating, even in the cafeteria, taste to you compared to your mother's food? I mean, what? They're just so different. I mean, I loved Lunchables. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I loved it. But was it very bland, comparatively? Yeah, but, I mean, it, you weren't buying Lunchables to get some spice. You right, know? yeah. <laughs> You're buying it for that chocolate pizza. But I think about, like, Indian food as being so dynamic and right. like, so many layers. And I think about a Lunchable as just, like, literally, like, a square of cheese and a cracker. And, and like, like, circular meat. Circular meat. And just, like, coming from such a rich food culture and then eating that, I can almost imagine it just 
feeling antiseptic or feeling... Uh, no, no, I definitely didn't feel antiseptic. <laughs> I don't know if that was the right word. I don't, I don't know. I found it, very, it sounded really smart, though. It sounds great. Yeah, It's a very passion-filled word. Oh, good. Yeah. I have an earpiece right now, and writers are coming up with these things oh, wow. for me. Yeah. Oh, that's what Craig's doing in the other room? Yeah, Craig yeah. is in the other room, yeah, feeding it, me it. my therapy lines. Um, but that's interesting. So you enjoyed it. It was fine. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's still good food. I'm still trying to capture, like, I'm trying to get from you, like, I don't have a clear sense of, like, what food means to you. I don't have a clear sense of what food means to me. Because it'd be one thing, like, you know, I feel like I'm going to have people on this podcast who will also, similar to you, be hardworking people. I've met a lot of, like, hardworking people where food means nothing to them. I mean, it's just, like, food is fuel. And I feel like a lot of creative people are that way. But you have the interesting twist that you grew up in a food family. Yeah. So, um... I don't want to put words in your mouth, but... Please, yeah. put them in my mouth. <laughs> yeah, but what, what, what does food mean to you? I, you know, the, the thing that pops into my head immediately, which I talked about already, is it's about people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you we know? can talk more about that. Yeah, like it really, for me, like sharing me, like I hate eating alone. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll do it for fuel, right? Uh, but I'll do it quickly and move on to my next thing that I have to do. Uh, whereas when I'm with people, like I could be at a dinner table for like three hours, you right. know, and just talk and laugh and joke or talk about serious things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just think it's one of the best ways to connect. And is that how it was at your family table growing up? Was yeah, it communal to, in that way? Yeah, yeah, to some degree. And and you know, I think when the family was going through tough times, you saw that on the, on the kitchen table there was less family dinners, and mm-hmm. you know, so there was that direct correlation between you know the what was happening in our lives and what was happening with the food and how how it was consumed. How old were you when you started to be wealthy and then how old were you when it went away? Uh, I think I was like 13, 14 when it started and like 15, 16 when it stopped. So just like pivotal teenage years. Yeah. Yeah. Can you walk me through? Because it it does sound very vivid the way you just described like the dinners being bigger when you had money and less when they went away. But like, was there a moment when things were flush where you remember your mom cooking a specific meal that felt celebratory or, or larger than the previous meals or was it just more of a gradual thing? I, I think, I don't think it was so much that the meals were different. I think it was just like the energy around the meals, uh-huh. you know, I, you know, when we were going through like tough times, I think we often ate alone. You know, like my sister and I would just go in our rooms and watch TV while we ate versus sitting around the table. Mm -hmm. Or my mom and dad would eat at different times because they were fighting, you know. And the food remained the same through all of this? Yeah, yeah. That's so interesting, too. Yeah, the food remained the same because it was, you know, there was like a pretty consistent like 10 things my mom made that we all loved. What are they? Okay. um, Well, chaat. So Indian street food like Bani Puri, Bail Puri, Dai Puri. That's like a big one. for. Mm -hmm. That's mostly for like occasions, though, because it's not very healthy. Mm -hmm. Um uh, Balak paneer, which is uh, spinach and paneer with rice. Mm-hmm. It's like sog, cooked a little differently. Um, Sindhi curry, which is like, um, I don't even know how to describe Sindhi curry, but it's just like this stew of so many different vegetables and spices mm-hmm. you eat with rice. Uh... I mean, if you don't remember them off the top of your head, you're doing really well. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, just getting, I'm, like, get, I'm like getting hungry now. Yeah, yeah I'm starving. Yeah. Oh, there's so much. Uh, gobi, which is um, cauliflower, um, cooked in every particular way. Mm-hmm. Um, so many things. So your mom in her, in her kitchen, I, I know this is like becoming like basically like all about your mother and her cooking, but it's kind yeah, it's of... It's like real therapy. Yeah, no, but I love it. I'm like enjoying every minute hearing about it. So I've been to some Indian homes uh, where... 
there's like the spices are kept in like a, a beautiful like kind of metallic container, yeah, like a steel container. Yeah. Was there some there were things like that? Yeah, I don't know why that that specifically is a thing, but yeah, it's like a circular steel container with smaller circular steel mm-hmm. containers inside of it with all the different spices and little spoons, and that's I think most Indian households have that. But can you describe to me the the, the feeling of being at home while your mom is cooking? Like, what is happening? Is she alone in the kitchen? Is she surrounded by friends? Is she talking on the phone is she standing there listening to music watching tv all of the above okay. it, it, it depends it depends on what's happening uh when we're home she tries to get us to help her which often just leads to us cutting up some vegetables and then talking to her while she cooks uh-huh. and like watching her do it uh, that sounds amazing though that sounds so healthy and yeah and, no yeah. it's fun and like I, you know when i go home food is like it's the thing that i look forward to I don't want to say most because I also look forward to my family. But it feels connected. It yes. feels like it's all part it's of It's absolutely connected. Yeah. Yeah. So had, have you found anything like that for yourself here in L.A. or when you're in New York? I mean, that feeling of being home with your family, with food. I mean, have you found anything quite like that? No. Yeah. Not really. Maybe you've been here for dinner. Yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah, I do that. Yeah, that's true. That's true. There, I take that back. <laughs> <laughs> this is called transference. So ah, okay. I got guess you're saying I want to be your mother. This is very healthy oh, therapy. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. oh, that. This is how therapy turn. works. Yeah, this is where I'm going to put on the costume now, where I dress like your mother, and I'm going to go cook some Indian food. It's not do, weird. Right? Are you going to do brown face too? No, no, no. I'm not going to do that. I mean, this oh, is, okay, that on. would be weird. Yeah, that's the weird. That thing. would be yeah, weird. Yeah, the rest is fine. Do you have a good wig? Because if you don't, we could. I actually have a hair person that's ready to do. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, cool. It's going to be really fun. Um, no, but I think that's interesting. Like, for me personally, I feel like I created that thing that you just described about your family and being home with food. I feel like that's what I've created for myself. Absolutely. In my adult life. Yeah. But you're also very young, too. I mean, how old are you? 25. You're so young. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's no reason for you to have created that for yourself yet. I mean, I'm 15 years older than you, so, you know, it takes a while to create the space for yourself where, yeah. you know, if you feel that, that those connections between cooking and home. Also, I think, like, your space where you live is so much connected to that. This is the first time I'm in L.A. living by myself mm-hmm. and having my own kitchen. Great. You know, and New York was the first time I lived by myself pretty much ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I definitely cooked more had you know had people over more often because it was my own space Mm -hmm. it was my own domain i didn't share with anybody else Mm -hmm. Uh, and so that was really you know i think that changes things i think there was an obvious question that maybe i didn't ask yet but maybe i did but have you attempted to make your mother's recipes at home i have okay yes i have they're nowhere near as good it doesn't just it's so complicated like well, t- give me an example of something that you've tried to make. I that- tried to make this paneer dish once. This was years ago. Um, and I called my mom and asked her to tell me what to do. And I wrote it all down. But, like, she also didn't really know because she does it yes. just by, like, picking up spices and throwing it I've in. I've heard that so much from people whose so mothers So she's cook. like, a yeah. teaspoon? Uh, okay. Two teaspoons? Mm-hmm. I don't know. And so I'm like, okay, well, great. This, is, this <laughs> isn't really working that well. Right. So you made it and it didn't taste as good. It was fine. Yeah. But I also, like, didn't make the paneer from scratch. Like, my mom makes everything from scratch. Mm-hmm. Uh, really? How do you make paneer from scratch? I have no idea. Is it, like, cheese, basically? Yeah, there's, like, milk, and there's, like, a there's like a, a cheese maker. I don't really know. Okay. I have no idea. But it's so good when she makes it from scratch. But it takes a long time. It takes, like, over, over a day. Right. Um, so I went and bought the paneer from a store, you know, which, mm-hmm. like, uh, was okay. And it was fine. Do you... It, it took so long. Yeah. And eating it took 
just five minutes. And I know. It's just like, oh, the payoff. It's so funny. I listened to a podcast once with Alec Baldwin and Sandra Bernhardt. Mm-hmm. I think it was Sandra Bernhardt was on Alec Baldwin's podcast. Uh-huh. And they were both talking about how much they love to do dishes. They were like, oh, my God, I love a kitchen full of dishes. Ew. And the other one was like, oh, my God. But no, but like it absolutely, like hearing that somehow affected me deeply. And I was like, maybe dishes are like a positive thing. And then... Now I think, I, I don't know, maybe I'm just very impressionable, but I took that upon myself, like I, I absorbed that, and now when like I have a kitchen, like I have a dinner party, uh-huh. and the kitchen is full of dishes, I just put on music that I love. I, you know what I think it is? Again, this shouldn't be all about me, but I'm just going to stop saying that. Yeah. Um, is, uh, <laughs> I love, I think in this culture that we're in where we're all addicted to our phones, we're all addicted to the computers and, and information and stuff, it's like literally one of the only moments in my day where I'm doing something completely different. Yeah. And I can just tune out. Well, it's a good, it's a good stress management yeah. activity. And you're doing something. And when with you're your done, hands. Yeah. yeah. And when you look at your kitchen beforehand and it's filled with dirt and grime and piles of dishes. And you look at it after you're done and everything's put away and the counters are all clean. There's something extraordinary about that. Absolutely. It's decluttering your brain, too, and cleaning, like, your headspace. So as your therapist, I think I'm going to... Um, Sometimes therapists give their their patients some exercises to do it. Ah, uh, yes, some CBT. Yeah, so I do think I, it would be good for you to make a big mess in your kitchen this weekend, and I'd like for you to then do all the dishes. Okay, what should I cook? Um, well, that's a good question. Yeah, give me an assignment. Now, this is interesting, yeah, because I think this is like you asking what kind of sandwich to get. What would you like to cook? And my 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 first impulse is, well, who am I going to have over? Oh, like okay. that is where my brain goes first. People, you like people. Yes, because it's uh, if I'm going to make a big meal at home, I'm not going to do it by myself. Yeah, or for myself alone. Well, I, I want for you because of the way you talked about your mother's cooking. I just want for you to be able to carry on that tradition. I know, me too. I really want to. I, I think what you need to push past is the fear of it not being perfect at the beginning. You yeah. know, I think it's not going to be perfect when you start doing it. That's true. But if you just keep doing it, then you'll get to this place where you'll start recreating this food and I think you'll start to understand more what your mom is doing when you go home um, but do you think the interest is really there or do you think it's not there? I think it's there. Okay. I think it's there. I mean, I love to eat it, so I should. I would love to know how to make yeah. it. I think that's 95% And there's nothing more it. satisfying than cooking a meal and having it turn out great. Yeah. And sharing it with people. And your starting point in this podcast was to say that there's it's the best Indian food in the world is your mother's Indian food. So to have that and to have that in your brain, it feels like a huge incentive to learn how to make it. Yes, I know, I know. Yeah, and parents aren't around forever. I got to learn learn now. Yeah, my my mom taught me how to make reservations and how to never <laughs> accept the first table at a restaurant. <laughs> And That's I'll fun. carry that tradition on there forever. There you go. Um, okay. Well, I think we need to, as much as we keep moving away, which I think is healthy from your yeah. lunch, um, I want to go back to it again mm-hmm. for a second. So you're eating this sandwich, and did you eat alone today? Mm-hmm. I did. And you don't like eating alone. I don't I don't mind it. It's, yeah. You know, sometimes I do enjoy it, especially if I've had a chaotic day or a chaotic week. It's nice to just, like, be by myself. And, mm-hmm. like, I usually, like, pop in headphones, listen to NPR. That's what I was going to ask. So yeah. what is your ritual when you're eating? So you listen to NPR. Yeah, I listen to NPR, KCRW. Are you sitting in the restaurant? Yeah. And you're sitting at a table? Mm-hmm. And are you are you conscious of, do you feel alone? Or are you? No, no. It's okay. Although I do feel, I'm much more comfortable eating alone during lunch than mm-hmm. I am for dinner. Something about dinner oh, yeah. time, yeah, it makes me, when I go out to eat alone at dinner time, I feel alone. 
it's funny because I love being in a foreign city or being somewhere outside of home and going out to a restaurant by myself and not feeling self-conscious at all. I think it's one of the most incredible feelings. It's incredible. It really is. But I could not, for the life of me, bring myself to do that in in L.A. Really? I couldn't. I mean, there's a part of me that would love... Even like lunch? No, lunch. I I go to lunch by myself all the time. I I bring a New Yorker. But I, um... But I have to have a New Yorker. It is like a huge part of my ritual. It's like a security blanket. Yeah. Kind of. if, I ha- if I have to sit at a table at lunch without a magazine, it doesn't have to be the New Yorker. Although sure. I'm very sophisticated, so that's what I read. Of course. Yeah. Yes. Um, but I need it in front of me. I, I, I literally just went to lunch and had the New Yorker in front of me. And so lunch, I'm like padded by this idea that I'm reading. But yeah. dinner, it feels so exposed. It really, especially in L.A. Mm-hmm. Everyone's looking. Yeah. You know. Although I think it, it shows a lot of chutzpah. Uh, to do that, I've done it. Yeah, yeah, I've done it. And it's, in LA, yeah, yeah. Of course, I've done it. I mean, there have been nights where I don't have plans or I don't want plans, and I just don't want to eat in my apartment. What do you think it is? Because I'm curious. Maybe you can diagnose me. But like, what do you think the fear of eating alone at a restaurant is about? I think. I mean, for me, I don't. I can't speak for you, but it's this insecurity of like being unwanted I think oh, it's wow. like if you go out and you're eating by yourself that must mean you don't have friends or mm-hmm. that you don't have family or that no one wants to be with you and then yeah, you're just a loner now I'm feeling even worse about it well, I, now I'm talking about myself <laughs> oh yeah yeah but does that resonate with you yeah yeah that's really resonating yeah. yeah and it's like and also I think we have this when I go out to dinner and I see people eating alone my immediate reaction is, oh. Yeah. And, like, that's that's fucked up. Like, they're yeah. probably having a great time. My friend Alex, who I went to college with, says when she was a little girl, if she saw, like, somebody eating by themselves, she would just burst into tears crying. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, I can't even that's imagine. That's a little extra. Yeah, about, like, being at a restaurant eating alone and having a little girl, like, yeah. crying about you eating alone. But I love it. I mean, in Europe, or I, I Craig had a movie show at um, the Edinburgh Film Festival, mm-hmm. so I went with him there. Yeah. Then he had to fly back to the States, and then he was coming back to go to the Munich Film Festival. So I traveled by myself from Edinburgh to Munich, and I went through London, Paris, Strasbourg. Oh, that's fun. It was incredible. And I ate it in Strasbourg, Strasbourg, uh, which is on the border of France and Germany. I ate at a Michelin-starred restaurant, which is a beautiful, fancy restaurant. By yourself? By myself. It was in a park, in a castle, and I was sitting at this table. Oh, wow. And there were two, there was a gay German couple, a young gay German couple at the table next to me. And it was so bizarre because... I don't know why that made me feel even more alone, but it was sort of like, oh, I feel like I could connect with these people because they're a gay couple. Did you talk to them? No, because I was so scared. I don't know. I was just there was something about it that just made me feel extra alone. Sure. But I also was kind of loving being alone. And the funniest thing about that meal in particular was that I think that they thought I was a Michelin inspector (laughs) because they were like, why is this guy eating here alone? Yeah, Yeah. he must be very important. Earlier you said that, you know, when you travel, you do feel more comfortable eating alone. Yeah, and I love it. But but at that meal, I did feel sometimes because of the gay German couple. I I think with the gay German couple, I I think it was the sense of maybe I should say hello, you know. I, I don't know. The right. fact that they were gay doesn't necessarily seem relevant, but I think it's relevant because I'm gay. I think so it's like, relevant. Yeah, so I think it's, it's absolutely of, relevant. Yeah, yeah, so it's sort of like, oh, like these people, we, maybe we'd have something to talk about. Right. Like, you yeah. know. Why do you think you're more comfortable eating alone when you're abroad? Why are you turning the tables on me? I'm, I'm just lunch having conversation. <laughs> I know. I do this to my real therapist all the time. Oh, really? hates you it. turn it on your therapist? Occasionally. Do they answer the questions? No. Oh. But you will because this is a podcast. It is. Yeah, people, they want to hear a little they bit. They want to hear everyone. from Adam. They want to hear from you, too. Um, why in Europe? I think in Europe because I think, to your point about 
um, being ashamed of like nobody wants to eat with me. I think it's more it feels more justifiable in Europe. It's like, well, I'm traveling. I'm I'm here alone because I'm traveling through Europe. You right. Know? Like that in and of itself is a positive thing. You know, I think people get it in a way. That in, the, in L.A., if I was out by myself and I ran into a group of friends, like, why are you eating here by yourself? Right, right. Like, I don't know. <laughs> but I also think it would be incredibly psychologically healthy to go by yourself to a meal. I think so. Last time I tried to go to dinner by myself was in New York, and my friend and I were walking, and she was like, I'm going to go home. Um, you should go get dinner. You're hungry. And I'm like, yeah, but like, I don't, I don't know. She's like, no, just go. I'll walk you to the restaurant. <laughs> and then I, she like walked me to the restaurant. Where'd you go? It's some Indian place in somewhere. I don't even remember where. Okay. Um, I ended up getting it to go. After my friend left, really? I was like, actually, can you make the order to go, please? Does it matter? And took it home. Do you walk in there? Because this is what I do. I'll walk into a place where I'm considering eating alone, and I'll get a lay of the land. Like, I'll look at it. I'm like, oh, there's a table in the corner that I could go sit Absolutely. in, and nobody will see Absolutely. me. Absolutely. If it's packed with people, and it's groups of people, I generally get nervous, and I'm like, I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. But if it's empty, or which I love, I love empty restaurants, yes. or if there's like a secluded corner mm-hmm. where I can like face a window or a wall yeah. <laughs> and not actually look at people. Sure. How are you with people talking to you? I mean, do you get people coming up to you who recognize you from yeah, things? Yeah, occasionally. And, you know, I, it's always nice mm-hmm. and flattering, I guess. But it's also, I have anxiety and, like, stranger danger always goes off for me. And so, yes. especially when I'm alone. And it usually happens when I'm alone because when I'm with people, uh, fans or whatnot are less likely to come talk because it's a group they have to interrupt. Sure. But if I'm by myself... It's much easier to just come up and say something. It's fine. I'm not. I'm not like one of those people that hate it. Yeah. But I also like don't love it. I don't know. It's still something I'm getting used to. Still, it's still fairly new. And I feel like you have so many different things people might know you from. But do you feel like you have to perform? Like, do, you know, if, if someone recognizes you from Atypical, do you think they want you to be your character versus who oh. you really are, or is it? No. Oh. I mean, I, I I'm generally just myself when yeah. when people. Yeah, I think that I think is just the most important thing. I try to. I think I'm definitely. I think I smile more mm-hmm. <laughs> than I normally do. Sure. Just to, so they can walk away with a positive feeling. That's great. Um. Uh. But yeah, you know, it, it's interesting to see. <laughs> I can almost guess what someone is a fan of when they walk out to me if they're over the age of 40 yeah. and they're white it's murphy brown right if they're a teenager it's atypical uh-huh. if it's like a a, a basic looking 20 something it's probably escape room uh, right. yeah <laughs> yeah where did they film escape room i was gonna ask cape you. town south africa so you were in south africa for three months i yeah. wanted to ask you how was the food there it was great. Yeah. Yeah, it was really good. What Cape is- Town um, has an incredible mix of, of food from South Africa and from all over the world. It's like a pretty, it's a fairly international What are some uh, food city? Dishes, like indigenous dishes or dishes that are from it's a lot of It's a lot of meat. It's mm-hmm. a lot of like, you know, we would call it barbecue. It's not exactly barbecue. They call it braai. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, with, with uh, bread. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of like meat and bread. Right. Yeah. Um, that sounds fun, though, to go to South Africa. Yeah, it was it. great. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, being in Cape Town was incredible. Were you scared inside the escape room? I mean, no. Uh, <laughs> shooting. People always ask, like, is it scary to shoot a horror yeah. movie? I'm like, no, because, you know, you, it's not real. <laughs> and uh, you shoot such little portions at a time mm-hmm. that, like, you say the same things over and over again. And at the moment you say cut, everyone is just dicking around and so it's like not actually it's not scary at all so it wasn't a real escape room where they were trying to kill you no it's not a documentary it's sad to say it was not oh happy okay. to say it was not yeah yeah and tell us about i mean murphy brown just came up was that a good experience for oh, you? it was incredible yeah. yeah oh my god that was um 
such a wild thing. That's why I moved to New York. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's the first time doing a, a sitcom, multi-cam in front of a live audience with these legends. You oh, know, my gosh. Candace yeah. Bergen and Faith Ford and uh-huh. Diane English, the showrunner. And most of the original writers were back. And uh, it was it was the most fun TV experience I've had, maybe. You know, Atypical is pretty great, too. They're just so different. Like, Did you ever a- um, eat with Candace Bergen? Oh, yeah, all the time, yeah. What does she eat? What does she eat? Standard, uh, she, like you know, whatever was served at, at you know at catering at lunch, and you know we went out a few times to restaurants. We went to she loves Indian food. Actually, the whole the whole cast loves Indian food. Um, one of the first places we all went together as a cast was um, a, a restaurant that Tyne Daly took us to. Oh my god, Tyne Daly was on it too. I forgot about that. Yeah, oh yeah, god. yeah. Love her. And it was so funny. We were you know she picked this Indian restaurant on the Upper East Side, and. Um, I was so nervous because every time I go to Indian restaurants with large groups of white people, I get a lot of questions. Really? You know? Okay. Like, what does this mean? What should I get? Blah, blah, blah. I didn't get asked a single question from this group. And they were, like, asking the waiters really smart questions about the food. And I'm like, oh, y'all know what you're doing. (laughs) Like, you know Indian food. And it was, like, a pleasant surprise. It was kind of my bad for assuming otherwise. That's amazing. Um, But, yeah, no. uh, uh, There are a couple vegetarians on the cast, too, so Indian food is very popular. So do you have any Indian restaurants in L.A. that you do like? There's India's restaurant right by Akbar, yeah, which yeah. is pretty good. I've never gone there, but I've oh, driven really? past it. I, I didn't know if it was good or not. It is good. It the is good. The one that's right behind Akbar. Right behind it, yeah. Okay. And it's open late, which is nice. Um, there, New York has much better Indian food. Yeah, I think so. Much better Indian food. The Spice Affair is pretty good mm-hmm. here, um, but, but it's, it's pricey. Int- it's interesting because Amer- um, <laughs> California has such incredible ingredients so you would think that, like, with, like, really fresh you ingredients... Think, well, if you go to Artesia, which is about an hour away, mm-hmm. there's, like, Little India, and that has the best Indian food that I've had outside of my mom's kitchen. Really? Yeah. Can you, we go? Yeah, I would love to. Let's do a little road trip. It's not that far. Like, right now? Right now. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh my God, that'd be nuts. We'll bring the uh, podcast on the road. But I would love to go there. I would love that. That'd be such yeah. a fun little road trip. Is it trip. near Orange County? Is it south? I don't really know. I have no I idea. I think it's, like, south... Okay. Southwest. I really don't know about So what, this is a good question because I'm kind of like floundering here for a second, but I want to bring it back to food. But like, how do you know when Indian food is good versus when it's not good? Like, what are you looking for? When it's more like a, it's like a dynamic flavor profile, not to sound like a bougie bitch, but like a lot of Indian food can be made just very simply, mm-hmm. like, and, and there aren't many flavors in it, um, or they use less spices or they just don't really cook it the right amount in the right mm-hmm. in the right way you know a lot of it is just like how you apply the heat and under what circumstances and what kind of pot for how long mm-hmm. and putting the spices in at the right time so mm-hmm. that the flavors come out in the right way and like a lot of indian restaurants just kind of just throw the stuff together wow and that's really interesting bad. whereas you know like my mom's cooking like you know it, she feels it out but it is there is like a, a method to it you know and like it, there's it's timed yeah. Which is cool. Does, does, does your mommy use fresh curry leaves in her cooking? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Because yeah. we have an Indian supermarket across the street. Yeah, from I here, saw that. And yeah. they sell fresh curry leaves. So yeah. I use that. When I make Indian food, I make pretty decent Indian I food. I believe it. You yeah. just, I mean, but I haven't I haven't tried it. So well, I'll have to make it for you. I would love that. There's a great cookbook. Actually, I should lend it to you. It's wonderful. It's by this uh, woman named Mira Soda. Okay. And it's called Fresh India. Okay. And um, her whole thing is like using fresh ingredients and using, you know, uh, like really good tomatoes, really good eggplant. And so I, um, I've made a bunch of her stuff, and it's not that hard. Really? It seems like this, the process generally, if maybe this is how your mom does it, but it's like you take an oil or you take a fat, like ghee, yeah. you flavor it mm-hmm. with like ginger, garlic, whatever spices you're using. Right. It's sort of like you were just talking about. Yeah. And then you add whatever your main ingredient is, and you kind of infuse it all in. Right. And then at the end, you kind of sprinkle it with um, like 
cilantro or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds right. Sounds good? Yeah, sounds great. Yeah. I'm hungry again. But I think that's a good book for you if you want to learn how to cook Indian. I really should. My mom yeah. would be so happy. I'll buy it for you. Okay. I mean, I shouldn't, I don't think a therapist should buy gifts for their patients, but. Well, my therapist got me a stone once. My therapist got me a stone once. Oh, now I feel less special. <laughs> my therapist... Wait, really? Well, first of all, all my therapists move away, so... They, they're all like, I <laughs> this is when I moved away to New York. Oh, it was like a farewell Yeah, thing. well, my therapist was like, I'm moving. I'm like, okay, and... Um, and I actually brought him a copy of my cookbook at the last session. Uh-huh. So I was like, here, here you go. And he's like, oh. And then he had this look on his face like, I didn't get you anything. So he kind of turned to his windowsill. He's like, here's a rock. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, thank you. Interesting. Yeah. Um, here's a rock. But I guess it does say a lot that I gave my therapist a copy of my cookbook, too. That seems kind of narcissistic. Well, you, is that what you think it means? I don't know. I'm not oh, I was sure. thinking it was like a sweet gesture of, you know, uh, your, your parting ways. He was like, remember so me? Much. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Did you, well, how did it feel when your therapist gave you a rock? Oh, I, I thought it was very moving and touching. To take with you to, to New, New York. New York, yeah. What is it with therapists giving people rocks? I don't know. I wonder if they teach that in awesome. My sister's a therapist. I'll ask her. Oh, yeah. yeah. We should find out. I will. Um, well, Nick, I always end every podcast with the same question. Yes. Which maybe you can guess because it, it starts with what did you have for lunch? It ends with, what are you going to have for dinner tonight? I don't know. I have a date tonight. Ooh. Um, and uh, I, I, we haven't quite figured out where we're going yet. Well, this is interesting material. Yeah. So when you go on a date, do you tend to like to plan the date? Or would you prefer the date to plan the date for you? Um, it depends. I mean, I'm kind of give, give and take. I, I kind of like planning it together, honestly. Mm-hmm. I think like figuring out together what we want to do is, is more fun. Who asked who out? I don't remember because we matched on a dating app like a year ago okay. and like missed each other a bunch. Uh-huh. It was almost exactly a year ago and we've been kind of trying to make plans for a while and it finally happened. Do you, Would you be more excited if they were like, we're going to uh, XYZ tonight and then we're going to blah, 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 blah? I wouldn't be more excited. I wouldn't be less excited. I'd just be like, <laughs> okay, great. That's happened before. Yeah. You know? Um, so you don't necessarily want them to take the reins, but you don't necessarily want them not to take the reins. It's sort of whatever it is, it is. It's just like whatever their personality is. like, And like right. how it, I, I like to find like the, you know, the give and take and like where the chemistry is. And if if they're like a domineering type, it's like, go for it. Let yeah. them do that. And if you're more of like a you pick, Nick, and all right, I'll pick. Um, is there a certain kind of restaurant that you like for a date? Do you like a quieter restaurant? Do you like a more boisterous restaurant? I think where something's going on, like if there's live music oh. or if like there's some kind of interesting atmosphere. That way you have something to talk about in case the conversation gets awkward or stale. Yeah. Especially if it's a first date. That makes me think of Jerry Maguire. Remember they go to that yeah, Mexican restaurant yeah. and there's like the mariachi band who's <laughs> yes. coming over. Yeah, sometimes like kitschy stuff like that is fun. Yeah. Um, I think live music is something that I love seeing music so where in la would you go that has live music uh generally not while eating um, oh i see so, so yeah you go to the meal first well, it depends yeah it depends um but like uh there are a few jazz clubs like the baked potato that the are, baked potato have you ever been no uh, they serve amazing baked potatoes what oh yeah it's i in, think you're making this up no it's in studio city it's this really really cute small jazz club and they have incredible musicians um i think every night of the week mm-hmm. and they serve food uh, so you could, you could, I've never done a date there where we ate, though. That, 
would be interesting. I mean, just a baked potato on a date. I mean, I might, be, I might be offended if, if that's where you took me. Why? Just a potato? I need more than a potato. Well, it's not just potatoes on the menu. Oh, there's it's other like, things? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a full menu. Oh, they're, I thought they're famous thing. They plop a potato in front of you. No, no, and they have, like, these really incredible baked potatoes. Like, the, the toppings are... Oh. Wonderful. Is there a topping bar, or they just put them on the? Potato? No, there's like there's a menu of like preset baked potatoes. And do they charge you for each additional topping? Or no, is it, I don't think you so. You can get as many as you want. No, it's a little classier than that. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, yeah it's not like a Chipotle. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although that could be a very successful business. A jazz Chipotle. <laughs> I don't think so. No, a jazz baked potato bar where you make you choose your own toppings. You basically how come there isn't like a baked potato Chipotle? Would that do well? I think so. Not in LA. Please don't steal this idea if you're listening to this. It's a lot of carbs. Baked potato? Yeah. It's a vegetable. But isn't it really starchy and carby? Yeah, probably. It probably is bad. So, okay, so let's not move away from the subject, though. So tonight you're going to go on this date. Yeah. You're going to have dinner. You don't know where, though. Mm-mm. But if you weren't going to have a date tonight, mm. knowing that you had Le Parisien sandwich, uh-huh. which is the correct way to pronounce it. Oh, whatever. I hope you're impressed wow. by my authentic French. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm just, just joking because that wasn't the right way to pronounce it. Is it? <laughs> yeah, no. I think I took French classes briefly before we went to France last year. and I, How did that go? All I know is it's Le Le, not le, le, not le. le. I think it's le, le. le. I tried to teach myself French to impress a girl in high school. How'd it go? Not well. She wasn't impressed. No. But I was gonna say, so if you have this um, heavy croissant sandwich for lunch, definitely well, go you, lighter. You'd like have a, salad a lighter or dinner, something, or like a soup. Okay. Yeah. But what is a typical Nikdodani dinner? Like on a typical night, what would you get for dinner? There, I, mean, I don't know. I mean, I, it's kind of all over the place. But I think the things they eat most often are Thai food, sushi, and sandwiches. Oh, okay. I so think, sandwiches are kind of yeah. I, I love sandwiches. They're just so easy and delicious. Do you make your own occasionally? What's a what's a good Nikdodani sandwich? <sighs> PB and J with with uh, bananas. Bananas. Yeah. Do you cut off the crusts? No. Okay. I used to when I was a kid. White bread. Wheat. Wheat bread. Wheat. And is it um, chunky peanut butter? Creamy. Come creamy? on. Creamy. Are you a chunky peanut butter guy? Um, no, I like creamy. Okay. But I like the like synthetic. Peanut butter. I'd same, same. Yeah. The organic stuff from like Trader Joe's is healthy, but like, ugh. No, it like separates in the jar. Yeah, it's, it's like, like oily. It's like cement. Yes. Yeah. No, I don't like that. No, I don't like that either. Yeah. Around the same page. Yeah. What kind of jelly? Uh, strawberry or grape. And the, the, the banana is always in there? Not always, but it does make it a I mean, just a PB&J is kind of boring, not that filling. Yeah. You know, but the banana adds like this texture and the flavor and adds some bulk. Bulk, and it's just easy. Do you slice the banana into little rings? Of course, or? yeah. Okay. How else do you do it? Oh, I guess you could do it long ways. You could. I've never done, I've never cut a banana long ways. Oh, you could. Yeah, it's very exciting. I, I have a recipe, I think Nancy Silverton's recipe for banana bread. Oh. You put the banana bread in a loaf pan, uh-huh. and then you slice the banana through the middle long ways, and you lay it on the top so it bakes oh, into the bread. That sounds so good. It creates a beautiful pattern. Can you make that next time I'm on? I will. Oh, that sounds like a deal. That sounds amazing. Well, Nick, thank you so much for yeah. coming on my podcast. Thanks for having me. Good luck on your date tonight. Thank you. You're welcome. 